Edited Portland, home of live music, good friends, good beers. Cheers to everybody who's listening. Um, today we have in the studio, just paid rent studio, one Christopher Neil Young. Hey, hey. How you doing today, buddy? Very well, man. I'm free in the free world. And living it free, and it's a beautiful day here in Portland, Oregon, May 16th, 2012. And, 72 uh, whole degrees. Went back to the uh, Anthony B, because that was how we kicked it off a week ago when we launched this shit, so thought it would be a little throwback. Thank you, Anthony. So, um, here we are today, my friend Christopher Young, also client of sorts in the music industry as we try to promote the Christopher Neil Young label, the Avatar Records, yep, yep. and all the other enterprises you have going on. Um, I, I start off this podcast talking about you as a person and, and where you came from and what you've been doing, and then we're going to move into uh, talking about the city and how you relate with the city, and uh, and then we'll play a little game called Questions with Mikkel. Are you up for all that? 100%. All right, buddy. Um, first question, are you from Portland originally? Yes, I was born in the east side in a hospital that's no longer here. Wow, and that was back in the 80s. 1986. Yeah, and uh, at that time, uh, your family was living up here. Um, what did your parents do? Like, what, what was everyone doing back then? Uh, my father was unemployed for the most part, working odd jobs, and then my mother was a waitress. Okay, cool. So working class family. Super. That's good, man. That's good. I mean, it's it's good to uh, to work hard in this world, I think. You get a lot more character out of that. That's what she always told me. Yeah, it's true, man. <laughs> right? That's what she always told you. You got to listen to your mom, man. But um, so we're out here today on this beautiful day, living in the free world, as you say. Um, after that, you ended up in Salem, right? Um, well, Salem was one of many stops. I was born here. Then when I was three and a half, we moved to Salinas, California. When I was four, we moved to Sacramento, California. When I was five, we moved to Tigard. When I was six, we moved to Beaverton. When I was seven, we moved back to Tigard. Uh, and then later, when I was seven, we moved back to Beaverton. Then when I was 11, I moved to Salem. Wow. Okay. So it's just, uh, it was like the formidable junior high, high school years that were in Salem itself. The a year, About a year and a half. Yeah. The second half of seventh grade and all of eighth grade. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So then you are pretty Portland. I mean, you had the suburbs mentioned there, but um, Beaverton and, and Tigard and whatnot, but definitely spokes of the the hub that is portland um while you were doing all that what brought you to the music industry like were you singing as a kid or did uh, people in your family influence you what, what was going on to to get you to this point where you're a musician well family wise my father was a competition drummer and my mom sang country and a country band when she was around the time they met and when she was living in california as a kid and threw on and always sang in the car and she's always just singing um, so I had a lot of music in my life. Um, and I was named after Neil Young, obviously, uh, Christopher Neil Young. Right, so they were um, fans of his music. and I, I guess. I didn't know who Neil Young was until I was about 16. It was the, around the first time that I actually picked up a Neil Young record and found out uh, what that was all about. And I never actually got the story. I never. Uh, my father passed a couple of years ago, and I and didn't really get to uh, ask him that, uh, which 
Well, it was fine. It was kind of his idea. It'll remain so, in mystery. Yeah, right? yeah. I guess I'll have to define it myself. That's good, man. Well, um, so you were influenced in the beginning. You saw people that were trying to be musical. I mean, they're working class individuals, but they're also trying to express themselves and be creative. And I think uh, a lot of that has to do similar to kind of the actions that happen here in Portland. Like people are definitely um, the type of people that are going to uh, be working class and still have different expressions like being an artist or being a musician or running a venue or all these type of things. So that's well, yeah, according to my aunt, um, I'd sing myself songs uh, to sleep about my day when I was a kid. So I'd just be laying in my bed like singing like, well, I went to the park today and stuff like that. So singing has always been a, a part of my uh, thing. Right. So then when you had this uh, this musical background, um, what was the first instruments you were playing as a kid? Like, were you like me sitting on the floor of the kitchen banging on pots and pans? Or did someone buy you a guitar at a young age? Like, how, what was like the first uh, recollection for you with an instrument that you, you were um, playing? Well, I remember trying to play piano when I was about four or five because I always went to Sunday school as a kid. And so playing around on the pianos. And then uh, when I was seven, I started playing violin. So I played violin from 7 to 11 and sang in choir as well throughout that time. Okay, wow. See, this is why I do this podcast. These uh, folks, all my friends so far have been the ones that I've interviewed. And honestly, I learn more about them in the 10 minutes we do the uh, the intro bio than I, I get in uh, the conversations we have outside. So it's interesting the perspective you get when you're interviewing someone with the expectation of learning something new. You know, when, when we talk, I just want to figure out how you're doing, what's going on, are we going to a movie, what's up, you know. But here I'm actually trying to get under under the skin of the onion, as it were. Absolutely. So so you're in church and uh, playing playing the piano in the background, singing sometimes. Um, did that concrete for you that that was going to be something that was interesting to you? Or is it just fun at the time? Like, at what point did you feel like your life and music were going to be married? Well, I always wanted to be a singer. I always wanted to sing. And when I was younger, I didn't like my singing voice very much. Um, but the first group, like the first CD I ever purchased was Boys to Men 2. Mm-hmm. And I love solid album Boys to Men. And so I basically taught myself how to sing through Boys to Men by <laughs> singing their songs over and over again. So you almost moved to Philly like at 14. You're like, this is happening. We're going to Philly. Oh, well, by, uh, that, that was I mean, this is more like <laughs> age seven, age eight. Oh, right. Um, by the time I was 11, well, about 10. We were only listening to gangster rap, so it was, uh, or what was called gangster rap at the time. So right. Tupac, Snoop Dogg, uh, Master P, those are pretty much the only albums that I was listening to, and they were always getting taken by my mom and whatnot, but I'd find a way to get another one. Right, so. right. Coolio. Well, <laughs> that's funny, man. Um, it's Most of the people that I, I bring on here are friends, so for the most part, it's been kind of similar age groups. Yeah. So it's funny to hear like the, the late 80s and early 90s classical, uh, there was hip-hop was becoming big and then the gangster rap scene and there was the r&b scene and like uh feldman who's a little bit older than you or me um like a couple years he he mentioned the thriller album right dancing right like college kids playing the thriller album so it's, it's always good to hear these classic names that like you know we just don't talk about anymore because everything's beyonce and right well until i was about I would say almost 14, my opinion was that white people only made corny music. So I didn't listen to any music that white people made. That's a very stereotype. As a white man, that's a funny thing. Yeah, it's an interesting stereotype to set up. Um, but yeah, I, I believe uh, quite the opposite, in fact. like I think uh, all cultures have some experimental form of music, something that they're doing that is... Uh, isn't unique to them and and you can kind of inherit now in our 
system of culture where everything's kind of homogenized because we have all the same pieces of instrumentation, you know? Right. Same keyboard, same whatever. So it's harder to see those distinctions, but I'm sure they're still there. And then um, what's more interesting is when you go places that are not as developed as the U.S., like in, you know, Africa or like deep jungles of like Indonesia and stuff, and you see these tribes and music is still a major part of their life. You Absolutely. Know? And it's a totally different form of it. You know, it's like a religion in, in a way that it's like these this ability to create these sounds and how people feel when they hear them is very integral to our like primitive self, you know, and it's why i probably like to talk to musicians most of my friends are are in that because i think they're usually unique people so so then let's let's fast forward a bit so you're youth down there in salem for a while you make your way out you get up here to portland let's say and you're a struggling young musician at that point doing Uh, odd jobs or what, what was your first experience here in the portland area say post high school era like 17 18 um well Let's see, when I was 17, I was playing at this joint called uh, Starbucks in Beaverton. 24-hour Starbucks all the time. <laughs> this, this this place called Starbucks. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it, it used to be... Uh, this little venue, uh, Starbucks, I believe, is what yeah, it was called. Yeah, it wasn't a venue, exactly, but it was a gathering place for the this odd suburb, for whatever reason at the time. There was no other place for people that weren't 21 or even that were to kind of meet up and hang out. So uh, anytime after 8 p.m. I figured that out. Yeah. Uh, and it was 24 hours. It was the only 24-hour joint in the suburban era there. Yeah. No, the 24-hour Starbucks in Beaverton is definitely um, famous on that side of the mountains over there, on the hills, I should say. But uh, Yeah, for our generation, absolutely. Nice. So, um, of course, uh, it's funny. We had a, a visitor come for the second time. We have our friend Micah has entered the just paid rent studios for the second podcast in a row so your timing is impeccable sir but um that's fine we're, we we didn't skip a beat because mike is our buddy we knew he was coming um so you're here in portland you're playing at, at the starbucks or you're in beaverton at that point playing at the starbucks um what were you looking for at that point as an arc like what were you thinking could happen were you going to open for some band get on a tour did you want to go back to school do the music theory thing like what was going through your mind at that age for music? Uh, I was never interested in going to school for music because I never assumed that it would be something that would be taught to me. Right. Um, But, uh, you know, I I just assumed that by listening and playing and analyzing what was going on and by listening to more music and being exposed to more diverse styles of music that I would be able to create better music and mostly just practicing my ass off and writing as many songs as I could. Right. So I developed poetry. I put out a poetry novel, I guess you would call it. It was like a 500 page, like full poetry thing with like text, you know, like nine point text. Right. Um, when I was, I think like 19 or so. Yeah. You definitely, I, I would admit as, as a bunch of my friends that are in the music industry, you're more of the prolific writer side than I, than most of my friends. I would say like they can write songs, but it's a lot more just kind of feeling emotion. Let's put this together with this riff. Boom. Songs done. But yeah, you'd, I've definitely seen you in a few coffee shops with the, uh, the notepad out there and, and working through the, the lyrics. So that's, that's a, uh, that's good, man. That's good work for you, man. Here, we'll do a cheers. We'll cheers. do a little sponsor bit. Cheers this, for writing. This podcast is brought to you by the Impen- independent employee-owned Full Sail Pale Ale Brewing Company right outside of Portland in Hood River, Oregon, home of Full Sail Pale Ale, fluid ounces of ridiculously tasty American pale ale. Thank you for sponsoring that Full Sail. We appreciate your donation of six cold pints into my fridge. 
And now we'll continue on with the podcast. Um, so I like talking about Portland in general, not just my guests. So let's talk about Portland, man. You, you live in Portland. You live in downtown, right? Uh, last six years now. And oh, going on seven. And uh, what, what to you is like, if you had to sum it up in a sentence or two, uh, living in Portland, what what makes it good? Like, what what do you experience in Portland that is unique to it that you're like, that's why I'm here. Um, like, it, are you okay? Are you more into the creative side that there's so many dynamic venues and people working in that? Is that part of it, or are you more into the unique characteristic of it all that everyone here wants to be slightly different, slightly askew? Is that more up your alley, or I like that it's cheap. That is cheap. That's that's awesome, man. No, I'm definitely here because it's cheap. I'll tell you that right now, man. <laughs> like I, half the time I think about moving, I'm like calling up places looking for rent, and there's no way I can afford to live in Frisco or Boston or all these other places I've looked at. So. Yeah, I mean, survival is fairly simple here. It is. It's... And for an artist, I mean, we're traditionally poor. I mean, having a job is we're just non-traditional people. I would say musicians in general. So sometimes jobs require conformity and time schedules time schedules and a certain life that doesn't always line up even as hard as i try and make it to and it makes it difficult to i I can imagine i mean if you have a venue experience coming up where it's like a thursday night and you're supposed to get off your gig regular gig at eight and the doors open at seven and you're sitting here looking at your world going well i clock into this restaurant you know and i do this for work for this guy but then on these nights, these special nights, I get to be my own person. And I know a lot of artists have to make that decision. They have to call in sick. They have to avoid their boss. They can't be real about it because they have this other life that they have to feed. And and what keeps you going. And yeah. that conformity system that you're talking about doesn't really yield to that, you know. By any means. Home no. Depot doesn't give a shit that you have a Sunday lounge gig. Right. <laughs> you know, they just want you to stock the lumber aisle. Right. Personal experience. Well, and you have to do it because you can't, you're not going to get paid until you have a following, but to get a following, you have to play. It's true, man. So, you know. Well, this one might be uh, one of the more truncated versions of Unedited Portland because, uh, as you may know, and as Micah may know as he's entered the studio, uh, we are going to go see the Avengers. Absolutely. I'm very excited. I'm really excited too, man. So that's going to be a good experience. So one more little bit about Portland, and then we're going to play the world's fastest, most popular game, Questions with Mikkel. So the way it's going to go is um, I'm thinking in your mind right now in Portland, uh, we have a new soccer team. We have kind of a new vibrancy going. Going forward, looking forward, um, what are you excited about being a part of this Portland music scene? What What is m- making you tick right now? And and not talking about your current arrangement. Don't think like how you feel like tomorrow if you had to book the best gig ever. Two, three, four years down the line, you're still living in Portland. What are you excited that's, that's happening right now that's in Portland? The dedicated energy of the artists that are moving here a lot of people are still moving to portland to make music so that in and of itself means that there are going to be more artists in general and the fact that the population of portland is going to grow to a space which it might actually be able to support the amount of venues that we have because in this moment as anyone any venue owner in this town is very aware we don't have enough people to support the amount of venues that we have and so they're all in direct competition of one another, even even though they would like to be supportive of one another because they're in the same 
scene. Right, the same business. I I I definitely support that man, and I extend that off to the uh, the commercial community as well. Like, just storefront space in general is unoccupied, you know. So when a guy can't afford his rent and he pays it and keeps his venue open, you know, it just shows just walking outside of his business how many businesses outside of it is closed. It's not, being a part of Portland. You the, are Portland at that point. Yeah, and there's just not people with money. And, like, people always think, oh, well, if there's no competition, then you're going to win out. And it's like the, in places where you're here, there might not be any direct competition in a certain area. But the whole area around you is dead. You know, offices are closed up. There's for lease signs. And until, well, yeah. until those start to get fixed, until the people that you're talking about that can spend some money start moving downtown and until these venues can actually relax a little bit and know that at least half their shows are going to fill up it's always going to be an on-edge scene you know well it's, it's basically i think the the goal is to get younger 25 to 35 year olds into the downtown metro area instead of in the suburbs where it seems to be a little bit cheaper but they're coming downtown at night to spend their money but in the daytime, they're not they're here. Not. That's an interesting thing. Um, in my politics class, my one of my last classes, because I graduate in June. Hey, shout out to me. Holla. Uh, um, is urban politics, and just this week, what we're talking about is the um, suburbanization movement and how people got locked into these little cells of these little like, uh, I guess sometimes they call them rail line communities because in most cities there's like some type of rail line that runs. The max for me. The max, right. And so like these rail line cities or these max cities that develop, that have like a core strategy of just putting up whatever you need because they have more space. So it's like box store, you know, strip mall, max station. Yeah. And now you'll never leave that little core. You never have a reason to. Yeah. And so what's happened is now people do that and they live that life and they can, you know, afford to live it. But then at the end of the day, no one feels good inside. No one feels unique. Or... Yeah, and they, it's also why am I here? Who right. who is there? Every everything feels a little emptier. Right. So they escape to the city. So we get this like three or four hour window from Thursday through Saturday night in downtown Portland, where that exact thing that all these venues have wanted every day is here, and it's like a three hour deal. And they pick and choose the venues for that night, and those guys win out, and then everyone goes home, and by Sunday it's ghost town again. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's unfortunate. That's a culture that, I mean, the city's got to work on what they charge for those. That, I mean, they can't just create these low-income housing spots here and there. Like, they have to have a whole strategy, in my mind, and include employment in that strategy. Because just because you give someone a home doesn't mean they can afford to pay for it. Well, and if, if you work in Beaverton, say, and that's, you know, your job is 30 miles from Portland. Uh, it's outskirts of Beaverton. Um well, uh, you got to get there now. Right. Well, okay, so that's a 45-minute max ride. Maybe a 50-minute max ride. Maybe it's a wait. Maybe it takes you an hour to get to work. Well, that's inconvenient. Right, so they live out closer to the work. Yeah, yeah people live close to work, usually. So we have to we have to maybe create new industries, uh, style like textile mills or some, things that can happen in a, in a smaller environment than like the factories that are having to be built in like suburbs and employ maybe a larger workforce downtown, you know I mean? Well, and the equal issue is the pay. I mean, people aren't making enough money. The reason why it's cheap is because nobody has money, so nobody can pay money. Right. So people don't have enough money to pay, afford their car payment and their insurance and their rent 
and their food and go out on the weekend. Right. So something has to go. Right. And it's most quickly, it's that Friday night show that they were thinking about going to. Right. You know, instead, instead of, of going to the show, you're going to watch one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, right on, man. Well, we did just right there because now um, we're right on track to play America's Fastest Growing Game Questions with Mikkel. Are you ready, sir? Absolutely. All right, buddy. Uh, you could have said it either way. but um, So here's the deal. I'm going to ask you three questions. They're going to get harder as we go. Hopefully you get them right. And at the end of that, once we figure out how many you get right, we're going to go on to the final round, which is the super bonus round, a.k.a. the arbitrary question. This arbitrary question I'll make up. You're going to get it wrong, and we'll be able to go home. So, although I'm already home. <laughs> so I ask for you, man. This is all to deal with Portland. And you're from Portland, so you better get your Portland thinking cap on. We'll see. There are radio towers on the hills just outside of Portland. These radio towers have a park named after them. And this is where a lot of the broadcasts for television and radios um, come out of. This park is a vista that overlooks part of Portland and mostly the west side. Do you know the name of this park? on the crest of the hill of the West Hills. Well, it's Council Crest or Vista. It's part of Vista Park, but yeah. Council Crest is the correct answer of the Radio Tower Park. It's actually kind of cool to go to in the yeah. summer like right it now. It used to be an amusement park back, back in the... Oh, uh, I think you're right. A long time. I think for the, a while. I think, yeah, you're right. I yeah. think I remember seeing uh, like a Ferris wheel up there or something. Really? I think it got torn down in 76 or something. No, no, not me seeing it, but a picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There was a scenic rail line that went out there. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, that was good. You did that. You did that. You looked a little scared there, but you you pulled it out, which is always good. I was pretty sure, and then you were like, uh, I was like, is is, is he feeding me the answer? Like, it's it's, it's, good. All right. um, So in Portland, and as well as some of these suburb areas that we've talked about, um, there's a chain of restaurants that kind of has a throwback to the 1950s-style burger grill. Um, this is a, uh, a chain. They serve great milkshakes. Do you know the name of this chain? That Sherry's. I'm... Oh, my God. You're wrong. Denny's? No. Oh, wow. Throwback to 1950s. Portland Grill. 1950s throwback style cafes. You said and in the suburbs. They've had them in the suburbs. What, Red Robin? Portland. Think Portland, man. I'm yeah, sorry. You're going to be What our is the answer? Burgerville. Oh, Burgerville. Okay. Burgerville. I, I guess I think of that as a fast food joint. Uh, you know. It's But it's from Portland, man. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Started it, it, in count, Portland. it counts. It counts. And it has the 1950s. Wow. I, I thought more of like a sit down, like, you know, waitress. <laughs> Thing, you know wow what 1950s i think of like roller skates and like cute dresses and i said throwback too not, not, like, not like officially you know oh, okay okay wow buddy wow oh, well, hey, well hey, that hey that's that's cool that's how the cookie crumbles so uh, you friend are the first single question holder so <sighs> you're not going to be in line for the trophy this year that's fine i'm sorry uh, i mean ahead, although although we could go on an aggregate because like i'm definitely going to have guests on multiple times so you could make a second appearance and maybe make up for this hey hey i'm gonna try so so you get you have a lot to bone up on so at this point in the game i would move on to the the last question the hardest question but i don't have to so i'm gonna give you a chance why don't you do it anyway i'm gonna give you a chance to plug and then i'm gonna do my arbitrary question i've decided that the arbitrary question aka the super bonus question is bonus which means i can give it to whoever i want so technically you're still gonna get that question but 
before we do that, I need you to plug anything you have coming up. Um, I'm, of course, going to do the friendly duty of plugging Mr. Eric Lewis's benefit again Monday, May 21st, doors at 9 p.m. at the Sunday Lounge. It's by donation, and it's to help our friend out with his reconstructive surgery on his hand. So it's on Northwest 5th and Davis. 5th and Davis. Downtown Portland. Sunday Lounge this coming Monday, the 21st. And outside of that, do you have anything you want to talk about, buddy? I got this trio that is spanking. Uh, Eric Lewis is a part of it, and once he is healed up, we will finish recording this album. Um, it is going to be pretty ridiculous. So just keep your eyes out for the Christopher Neil Young trio or anything associated with the Christopher Neil Young brand. Awesome, buddy. I liked it. Well said. All right, buddy. So the moment you've been waiting for this is um, a grand experiment. You saw part of it in the Lost episode, a.k.a. the original Eric Lewis recording. Um, it's a fun bit that I do. So today, a, you like it? This is a good I'm one. I'm excited. So what's the number one attraction to go see first thing when you arrive in Portland, either by Greyhound or train or flying on the airplanes that come out to PDX or coming on one of those maxes we talk about from Gresham or Hillsboro? Voodoo Donuts. Voodoo Donuts is your answer for the number one attraction you see in Portland. I'm sorry, that is not correct. The answer is street kids. Street kids. <laughs> Everyone comes to Portland to see our street kids. Uh, snap. You have a great day. Thank you, Christopher Neil Young, Thank for being a part of this. No problem.